The following program contains themes and images that may not be suitable for most audiences. Viewer discretion is advised. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Panda Pig Inc. Rate, review, and subscribe. Hey, it's Panda. And it's Pig. What's good? What up, though? Welcome to episode 15. We made it. We did make it. Significant amount of episodes below our belt. What's the name of this episode? The name of this episode is Two Bodies in the Lab. Ironic, considering last episode had two bodies in the lab as well. That's why I got these two episodes confused, (laughs) because literally this title could work for either of this episode or the previous one. Think about how many episodes they end up having after, where there's literally two bodies in the lab. So it's a misleading (laughs) title. But what I th- find interesting is they use this title secondly when I feel like like it's such a obvious title for the previous one, but then they only thought of it for this one. Which is hilarious. Yeah. We pretty, have thoughts, though, about stuff. the fact that there's two bodies in the lab. Yeah, our, our critiques kind of mirror our, the previous episode. We have mixed feelings where we feel like it's a solid episode, but then not. A little underdeveloped, but this is season one. Yes, so we understand what's happening. Yeah, I feel though like um, they were in this episode and last episode, they were trying to get a little bit more complex or intricate with their storylines, and um, they did so in a very, like they left a lot of plot holes. Yeah, like it's funny because with this one, Pig caught it to where now it's like, Okay, it seems solid, but when you look a little deeper, you're kind of like, wait a minute, but why? But why? I also am strongly considering that maybe I'm just not smart enough, so I'll be posting about this in in the Bones Reddit forum for someone to help me understand this episode. Uh, well, someone helped me understand episode 14 because <laughs> I was the one who couldn't figure out episode 14 and now the roles you have know switched and now I'll Pig do doesn't understand episode 15. I'll make yes. my post about both of them. Be like, can you someone explain episode 14 and 15 to us? Because Nani? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't make sense here. Yep. So this episode was directed by Alan Croker and written by Stephen Nathan, the very same duo that wrote and directed uh, The Man in the SUV. No wonder these names sounded (laughs) familiar. I was like, this sounds familiar. Yeah, so Alan Croker specifically directed The Man in the SUV. He directed The Man in the Bear. And then Stephen Nathan specifically wrote for The Man in the SUV and and Two Bodies in the Lab. I would watch this over Man in the SUV any day. I would, in in order of of what I would rewatch, I'd, it'd be The Man in the Bear, then Two Bodies in the Lab, then The Man in the SUV. Oh, you're talking like, about based on what they wrote? Yeah. Yeah, because I feel like sure. the the man in the bear is just a solid episode. It's all such around. a good episode. Man, everything bear is fits really together. Good. Everything makes sense. Um, the two bodies in the lab. I feel like it's an important 
episode to the Bones canon between Bones and Booth's relationship. I realize the three episodes I really like from the season so far is the same three that always stuck out in my mind even mm-hmm. later is still Man in the Bear, um, Man in the Wall, and then Man in the Fallout Shelter. So Yeah, it's we're like... thinking um, in another one of our bonus episodes, because we're starting to do where we kind of record before we record, <laughs> where we just do a little bit of a warm-up, talk about, you know, the Reddit forum our different thoughts or whatever at the end of this season we're probably going to do some kind of ranking of our favorite episodes and um, talking about how the different writers and directors write the characters and which ones we prefer and just kind of all those kinds of thoughts yes you know yeah because it's all pretty related yeah for me though i think the episodes that stand out to me in regards to like just remembering them a bit more vividly would probably be like um the man in the bear the girl in the fridge um the um the man in the fallout shelter obviously two bodies in the lab those are the ones that kind of stand out to me the most that i remember from when i first watched the show Mm. that had an impression on me i could see that yeah. But yeah, so this so <laughs> let me just get into it so we can get, get, get the, the episode rolling. started. So this started. episode is another two bodies in the lab episode. Yes. Um the first body is that of oh crap, I forgot the guy's first name. His last name's Kajini. Do you remember what his first name was? It like James? We just kept calling him Kujini, the mafia guy. Yeah, the mafia guy. So one body's Kajini. He um killed related to the mafia the other body is of what appears to be a victim of a serial killer the the victim's name is penny hamilton and she is significant because her eyes were carved out of her head they were gouged out yo <laughs> so this episode does get a little confusing to me but we're introduced to a character called agent kenton who knows booth and who is a part of the organized crime unit at the fbi and he and kind appa- of and apparently them. he already met brennan so yeah we never saw but they already <laughs> met whatever he assists them with the investigation regarding kojini so as they go along by looking at the evidence they determine that um the previous suspect that they had seen all along for a murder that he committed in a similar fashion as penny Mar- penny i keep saying penny marshall Penny <laughs> Hamilton, yeah. and believes that Hollings is the serial killer for that. Pretty cut and dry there, but it turns out that Agent Kenton is a dirty cop and is the one who killed Kujini whilst working undercover. There's dun, dun, a bit of dun. some hijinks. Hmm? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, there's a bit of some hijinks in where Kenton kills Hollings um, in order to distract the FBI from seeing that Kenton is the is the bad cop. He, you know, kidnaps Bones, you know. He does and all then, this crap and we're just like, hold on, <laughs> why are they, the day. like, out of nowhere they start to link these two bodies and we're just like, okay, so we're going to get into that because when we first start <laughs> watching, we're like, okay, we got two bodies. 
but why do we keep mentioning these two bodies and they don't mention it to the end and we're like okay but why is this connection but i still i still don't see the connection i don't understand like kenton's the connection but why like we'll get into that when we get there yeah or maybe not or maybe you'll be able to answer it for us because i'm (laughs) i'm still confused so um let's open up with the scene so let's go so the scene opens up with Bones chatting online with a friend mm-hmm. and scheduling a date for dinner. Uh, Dr. Goodman arrives to inform Bones that there's a body that needs to be examined. The body is believed to be this Cugini guy um, who disappeared after his daughter's recital. It's a mob boss kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to be sporting some literal cement shoes. Um, whilst New fashion examining- statement, yo. <laughs> Yes, whilst examining the body, Booth arrives with Agent Kenton, who appears to also know Bones, and he's assigned to this mob case. But simultaneously, Booth also needs to take Bones to examine another recently deceased body. Yes. Now, my first thought when this scene all happened, I was like, oh, we're online dating, Bones. Mm -hmm. Are these Omegle vibes? I'm getting, though. (laughs) (laughs) The website's called Sensible Partners. Yes, Sensible Partners. And I was like, interesting. Mm -hmm. Online dating. And you're just kind of like, alrighty then. She even hesitates, too. She's just like, I don't know if I should go. But then she decides to go. Mm -hmm. She said, all right, I'll be there. She just makes that motion. I definitely feel Bones' expression because, like, in the first few minutes, she seems, like, pretty pleased to be talking with this guy online. Like, she's all smiles. And then the moment he says, like, he starts planning a date, like, her smile drops and she's like, okay, this this is is real real now. (laughs) I didn't think I'd get this far. Yes. This sounds (laughs) very familiar. (laughs) And then um, Agent Kenton, he... um, I know him, I mean, well, his name's Adam Baldwin. People may recognize him from Serenity, Independence Day, Full Metal Jacket. But I remember seeing him in the TV show Chuck. And also, he is um, appears in the last season of Angel. Interesting. I know I've seen him from other stuff, but I'm now intrigued. He's in the <laughs> yeah. last season of Angel. How funny. There's actually How a character funny. in this episode and in the next episode who appear in Angel. Nani? Mm-hmm. I'm excited. I'm still getting through Buffy and Angel, y'all. Yeah, don't, she's don't watching them the me. right way. One and then the other. Yes, don't shoot So it'll me. be a bit. Yes, it's taking a lot out of me because I just can't get over Buffy and Angel's love. Okay, <laughs> okay, like, come on though. Give me that fan fiction, yo. <sighs> but something I want to bring up when they brought up Agent Kenton, you love how Angela is mm. just so straightforward, like, hi, I'm Angela Montenegro. Yes. <laughs> I need to borrow some of Angela's confidence. Her vibes in here, I'm just like, yes, Angela. She's, yes. she's, a, she's a hoot in this episode. Oh, for sure, for sure. But, yeah, that was pretty much my only uh, thoughts about that. And you could kind of see Booth kind of gets, um, he you could tell he's a bit, you know, on guard when he hears that Bones is um, online dating. And he talks more mm-hmm. about it in the next scene, too, when they get to the crime scene. Yes, they definitely do. So Booth takes Bones to the other crime scene, which appears to be like in a loft or like, a, I believe it's like a warehouse. And yeah. the victim is a female who's 
you know, perceivably late teens, early 20s. I thought they said tied to a late bed. teens or late 20s, too. Did they say early 20s? I thought I thought they said early 20s, but, you know, mm. she's she's a youngin. She is a youngin. She's a youngin. And her flesh seems to be have scavenged away by stray dogs. Um, mm-hmm. They keep the dogs kind of in some cages because yes. Bones wants the excrement from them to be reviewed and analyzed. By Hodgins. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when she takes a closer look at the body, she notes uh, Booth, well, specifically Booth asks Bones about the missing eyes. And she observes that they've been gouged out by a tool of some kind. Mm-hmm. Booth suspects the work of a potential serial killer who he encountered previously. They had found a sev- similar 17-year-old female victim in a shed. But the ce- this scene in particular seems to be an escalation with the addition of the scavenging dogs. Yeah. Bones gets a call from her date that it's going to be pushed back. And then Bones have a slight tiff over online dating with Booth. Showing his disapproval. Yeah. I didn't really have many thoughts. All I was just like thinking is like, oh, just look how he's very like, I'm not for this. And she's like, I don't (laughs) care. I'm a grown ass woman. Like she's just like Mm -hmm. she answers like uh, the guy that she's talking to online. His name is David. She's like, David, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Yes. I'll see you then. Mm -hmm. Booth is like, "Mm, I'm not for this. (laughs) <laughs> Booth Booth's jealousy and protectiveness of Bones is very heightened in this episode. Oh, for sure. As, you know, she has some very real dangers, potentially, with meeting somebody online. I mean, currently, it's very common for people to meet online, but it's still just as dangerous. Oh, for sure. Um, but he's a little archaic about it, you know. I mean, I don't that... blame him, considering the next scene <laughs> she gets shot at on her way to the restaurant. So it's true, like, true. fears so... are real. <laughs> So um, on these serial killer episodes, I'm going to try to reference some of my knowledge. I took, um, I feel so pretentious for saying, I took a serial killer class in college, Mm -hmm. which obviously means I'm no expert. I'm just dabbled in information and fascinated by it. That was like one of your favorite classes too. (laughs) It was one of my favorite classes and it was so much fun. And And I bought the textbook for it. I didn't rent it. I bought it because it was so fascinating. And um, the reason why I say serial killer already, because um, there are different authorities who will say what defines a serial killer. Basically, how many victims do you need to have to be considered a serial killer? Mm -hmm. And um, some will say like three or four, but the FBI, I think as recently as they said, like 2008, determined that it's two or more. So interesting. So by definition, this guy who is the serial ki- who's the killer in this episode would now be considered a serial killer having obtained his second victim um in this scene. But based on like how intense this is, I probably would say it's not the second victim, it's probably more like the third or fourth victim. Yeah. But second that we know about. Um yes. in the textbook that I that I'll be referencing that I've read out of is called Serial Murderers and Their Victims by Eric W. Hickey. It's on Amazon and it's about like four hundred pages. So for regular readers it's not crazy at all, but very, very informative if you're fascinated by serial killers. It doesn't really read like 
like a boring textbook. If you're interested in serial killers and you want to learn more about them, it's actually a really good read. Yay. Just for sounds very informative. Some so. further information. <laughs> You know. Yeah, I didn't really have much thoughts about the scene other than that, though. It was more of just, oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Bones is really, like, pushing this date, and then Booth yes. is worried. And I'm like, well, good thing he worried because she gets mm-hmm. shot at in the next scene. So I'm like, I don't blame you, Booth. Yes. I don't blame it's, you. I agree. Oh, other thought about serial killers to add in there is that it's not just killing two or more people. It's there's got to be kind of a pattern and a down period between the kills. Because if you didn't separate it that way, it'd be hard to differentiate between, like, spree killers or mass murderers because they kill two or more people, but they're clearly a different kind of killer and have different methodologies and motivations. It's such an interesting psychology when you think of, like, oh, yeah. There's mm-hmm. a difference between a mass murderer and a mm-hmm. serial killer. Yes. Their motivations all are basically are killing. Yes. So motivations are mm-hmm. different. So it's just like, oh, yikes. <laughs> yes. So I did want to point that out because, yes, it's killing two or more people, but it's also how they kill them. Because a mass, mur- a mass murderer could technically kill 100 people, but... It's how it happened that just more likely them. to explain their reasonings and confess everything a mass murderer or a serial killer? Um, it depends. So, a mass, mm, mass murderers almost always are doing it for attention, mm-hmm. serial killers may or may not be doing it for attention. In um, your opinion, then, who do you think is more likely to confess all their motives and reasonings? A mass murderer? Probably a a mass murderer. Because a serial killer, they can. It's it's more varied, in my opinion, to whether or not they're going to reveal everything. But with a mass murderer, it's like they are truly looking for notoriety. While a serial killer could be looking for notoriety, but they also could not be. They could be just trying to satisfy an urge. Usually a mass murderer is trying to send a message. Mm -hmm. Trying to show how they've been wronged in some way. Mm-hmm. And it's usually a lot about attention. And that doesn't mean a serial killer can't be motivated by those things, too. It's just more seen as truly a mass murderer kind of thing, or even like a spree killer. Like mass shootings, definitely about attention, notoriety. And if you gave them the platform, they would talk about it all day long, which is why media shouldn't show the faces or even name the names of the mass shooters because it just fuels them and encourages those who are going to do the same thing because that's exactly what i think it's so fascinating though how people are like i want to see the people what is their name and it's like do you know them do you Mm -hmm. what are you gonna do with this information what do you care unless they're dead if they're dead then who cares But if they're still alive, I say blast the names of the victims and about what happened, but don't give the the killer the time of day. Yeah, don't make it look like it's, you know, they're Hall of Famers. Like, no, don't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, going back to the episode. So we are, after they move from the crime scene, they do go to like a little shot of Bones. She's going, she's arriving to the restaurant Mm-hmm. And she's like walking up to it. She answers the phone 
from David. He's stuck in traffic. And then she ends up dropping her phone because she got butterfingers. And she gets <laughs> shot at in a drive-by. And you're just like, well, you better be glad you got butterfingers because apparently people don't know how to aim because you're getting shot at, yo. Like, this, is, huh? this is her second drive-by she's been a part of. Yes. And this one, it's like, bruh, this is why you shouldn't really go alone. Especially you're going on a blind. Like, you've never met this guy. Mm-hmm. And you go alone at night in a straight. Well, I don't know if this is how it is in all places. Probably not. But whenever I hear number streets, I think sus. I think well, it's sketchy different. parts of town. But I know it's very different <laughs> in other places than where we are. But for us, mm-hmm. when we hear letters or numbers, we're like, that's a bad place. Yeah. But I know that's not how it is everywhere. <laughs> yeah, I think Bones is definitely naive in this episode. While I don't think she should be completely freaking out and backing out of going on this date, I do think she needs to see that there are some potential dangers with um, meeting somebody online. Yes, you know, definitely take very precautions real. for sure. Like when I, I went on a date and literally I had Panda and her boyfriend <laughs> in the restaurant. Yes. We were hiding. in the same room, but they sat us on the other side. So we're like, <laughs> all right, is Pig good? Is she mm-hmm. good? Did she get to her sure car okay? Yep, made sure I got to my car safe and sound, yes. all those sorts of things. Because it was somebody online and perfectly, perfectly normal, very mm-hmm. nice guy. And But even so, it's it's like... You didn't know him. It could be a very perfectly normal nice guy that ends up trying to kill you. Like, oh, what was it? There's this guy, I think in Michigan... Or Wisconsin, who was meet recently, well, not too recently, Somewhere like within the last year or two, who was meeting guys on Grinder and oh then killing goodness. them and hanging oh them up goodness. in his barn. That's terrible. Oh, what was his name? Uh, it was like, what was it? Oh, it was no, but it makes me think of bizarre. like, it makes me think of like people in Utah who are like, oh yeah, like the ones in the small town, they don't check. Like, who's at the door? They just open it. They're like, oh, nothing bad happens here. And it's like, you don't want you to be the first victim. And same situations. Like, Mm -hmm. dating is normal. Dating is very normal. Online dating is pretty normal nowadays. But at the same time, do you really want to risk the bad stuff Mm -hmm. happening to you? You really want to be the one on the news? Like, oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the guy's name was Stephen Port. um, And it was in Britain. Um. And he was, he committed crimes between 2014 and 2015 where he'd find his victims on Grindr and meet them for hookups and then kill them. That's so sad because it's like you already have like people in the gay community already like struggling to find partners to see like who else is gay. So it's like, look at that. You try to be vulnerable with someone and they're like, let me get that throat and slash it real quick. Like, Yeah, it's like, okay, you guys, if you want to hook up with people, go ahead and hook up with people. But you got to understand, too, that you need to be safe. And sometimes even when you are safe, it's not good enough and you can get hurt. Both safe. You need to be safe, get that protection, and get the other mm-hmm. protection. And you then how about, like, protection. How, how about let's start, <laughs> maybe this is a little bit too bigger of a broader picture, but, like, let's maybe tell people it's not okay to do these things. So that way... It's not always on the victim. Like, let's encourage and explain to young men what's okay and not okay. And women. Mm -hmm. What's okay and what's not okay. Yeah. 
back Any to hoosies. Bones. <laughs> so we go to the lab after mm-hmm. Bones has been shot at. And she's clearly shaken up. So Bones, Angela, and Zach, they're examining the remains of the female. Mm-hmm. And Bones seems to be overly critical of the rate at which they're getting results. And yeah, she is on how, edge. <laughs> and how the bones are getting cleaned. Mm-hmm. And Angela gets started on the reconstruction. Hodgins is set to analyze the fecal matter. Mm-hmm. Um, Booth arrives upset about how Bones left the scene early from when she was shot at and is already back at work. Mm-hmm. He tells her that they're looking at missing persons reports and having um, the serial killer suspect from that murder of the 17 year old um looked at that was something hollings i didn't remember everybody's first names for this one mm-hmm. um but in the meantime bones um is gonna go with booth to interrogate her date david who, yes who she hasn't mm-hmm. met yet but Correct. something you gotta appreciate about the scene is even though she is on edge and she's pretty much being very bitchy to everyone, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. you gotta appreciate the fact that even though she snapped at Zach, she stopped herself and she recollected yes. and she taught him instead and made it a teaching moment. That was excellent. I really very noticed much. that too. I thought that was incredibly mature. Yeah. The only thing is, is Zach kind of like took still was pretty offended. So he kind of was like, well... Because she was saying how, like, it took, like, was it some many years to clean, like, the Sistine Chapel or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he's like, well, I didn't know we had that type of time. And I'm like, Zach, just mm-hmm. be glad she's helping you. Well, he she, that was a snarky comment by her. Like, she like she was wrong, and then she was good, and then she was wrong. Yes. So, you know, clearly he's he is, you know, not. It's defense mechanism. Yeah, so yeah. it was really a good leadership way of her to stop herself and instead teach him. But then yeah. the snarky comment about the Sistine Chapel, and then Came he back, yeah. is kind of feeling a little directionless, just trying to do his job, what needs to be done. And then it's you know it's a combo, it's a combo. It's shots fired, but yeah, and it's also one of those moments where Bones is. Like, obviously strong, mm-hmm. but very, very human. Like, this is something that's traumatic that's happened, and she's coping by being, like, hyper-focused on solving the case, which I feel mm-hmm. like is a pretty normal response because you just want to feel normal after experiencing something like that. Yeah, so that's why she wanted to go back to work. I think it was in this scene specifically, too, where Booth says something. I think... He says this line, but I really liked it. He's like, well, I don't care about how your feelings are. I just care about you staying alive. Like, that's what I care about. And I found Mm -hmm. that very interesting, too, because she's all shooken up. She's like, I need to be working, blah, blah, blah. And he's Mm -hmm. like, I don't care. You're coming with me. I need to keep my eye on you. And you love how Angela's just smirking like, (laughs) yeah, you, you do that. Yeah, you this was that. this is another example of her being naive when um, Booth was saying how, you know, she's like, well, it couldn't have been him, David. He was in traffic. And I was like, how naive of you to think that David isn't capable of doing this just because he was on the phone with you and said he was in traffic. Like he was he still in said a car, he was anywhere. too. Yes. And think it's you like know. you don't put two and two together like he's in a car you just got shot at by someone in a car he knows mm-hmm. where you're going to be 
in exactly what time you just confirmed what time like you don't even consider yeah. him as a suspect at all like obviously it's not him but still to, to say that there's no way like that just doesn't seem like her but yeah. then again this is a vulnerable moment so yes. she's not going to be like spock and totally oh, sure. calculated but but then again, when they so in the next scene, they end up in the interrogation room with David. She meets yes. him. She is so like, <laughs> she's all smitten about it. She's like, "Ooh, hi, David," and it's just like, "Okay, mm-hmm. Bones, you're sitting down next to him. Like this is your first date, and it's like Booth is literally trying to interrogate him. Like, come on now." Yeah, so, like, personally, I like the building of angst and jealousy. I find this entertaining, you know, but, like, as a cop, Booth just really does not get much done in regards to interrogation and interviews. Like, he just does not get a lot of information. No, he does not. (laughs) You know, like, in this scene, this scene does nothing. It provides no new information to the episode. David doesn't provide any new information except by saying he already has the alibi that he had before. Mm -hmm. The whole point of this scene is just, like, a catalyst for Bones and David to finally meet, but in a controlled space under the watchful eye of booth you know you know you kind of like when they were leaving like Mm -hmm. she see her just staring and booth is like uh hello hello (laughs) and then he leans on the wall in front of her like hi i'm in front of your face and we're like she -hmm. just does not have a care in the world and we're like that's actually kind of cute though yeah i'm kind of getting upset because like the more i watch the show the less i think booth is a really good cop like the more i watch it i'm like you're just lucky (laughs) Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, we're going to we're going to get mad anyway about how many times like all of them should have been fired anyway, so True. But it doesn't make me love this show any less. These are facts. These you know. Facts. So <clears throat> so then back at the lab, Angela mm-hmm. gets a positive ID on the female victim as 19-year-old Penny Hamilton. Mm-hmm. She's a college student set to go to Haiti to set up medical clinics. Mm-hmm. And Bones and Angela discuss Bones, David, and Booth, and mm-hmm. Booth arrives and they give him the information on the victim and and her identification. You just see his face drop like this is her. <sighs> Oh yeah, you just your heart just goes oh, so sad. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, for the first time, I actually really disagree with Angela in this scenario. Mm -hmm. So, she's talking about how Bones needs to cut Boots slack because he's a hot FBI agent who wants to protect her. Mm -hmm. But it's like he was taking in he like was thinking of david as a suspect long before bones was even shot at which to me like he was being like weird uncomfortably overprotective about Mm. it which i would have like shot down which she did in a good job but that doesn't mean like just because he wants to keep her safe doesn't mean he gets to be weird about everything because he was being weird before she was even shot at yeah he was he's been very much against the whole online dating from the beginning like he's like what's wrong with seeing someone across from the room and having that magic work and stuff and it's just you know she's trying something new and even angela's like she goes well i introduced her to the site you know blah 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 Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. it's a very depends on how you view it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and then 
going further, the bullet that they found. So now we're flipping to the other body. Okay. Which is the mob body. The mob body. Okay. So we focused a lot on the victim. That was chewed by dogs, like mauled by dogs. So now we're going back to the mob body from the cement. Mm -hmm. And the bullet that they found is not much for ballistics. Like it's not like in great condition. So Buns suggests they see if the same... (laughs) Bones suggests to see if the same marks can be found on the bullet wound in the skeleton Mm -hmm. to perform, you know, a a match. Um, And then on Penny's body, Zach still can't find an instrument that matches the groove marks in the eyeball sockets. Mm -hmm. And then Booth takes Bones with him to speak with Agent Kenton about, excuse me, about the Cugini case. So what were your thoughts on this scene? Um, I didn't really care for much on that one. I was just like, Agent Kenton's just sus. <laughs> <laughs> like I was already I... getting the EG, like the, getting the GBs from it. I was like, mm. yeah, they definitely mm. leave some breadcrumbs as to Agent Kenton being a uh, being a I, bad dude. I had more thoughts of like the moment they were talking about they couldn't find an instrument that matched the groove marks in the eyes. Mm-hmm. Like, later when, because obviously when we get to the scene of going to Hollings' place, I was like, how did that not, the thought of that did not cross Bones' mind, like, keys, mm-hmm. keys. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until later. Something yes. that I thought about in this scene is Bone talks about this process of looking at the groove marks in the bone as, like, a theory she's been working on. Oh, the reverse, ballistics. The reverse but like, thing, like, taking the imprint from it and then creating the ballistic. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I, at first I was like, isn't that something? That's, that's definitely that already invented? a thing. <laughs> you know? Like, I definitely thought that. Too. I was like, isn't like, that already a pe- thing? <laughs> definitely already a thing. People have been, it's a, it's a pretty common, common practice that people have already been doing in investigations. So definitely not a theory that Bones <laughs> in particular has been working on. I mean, check the history about it. You never know. Maybe someone watched Bones <laughs> and was inspired and they were like, this is it. This is what we were looking for. This is the answer. Oh, man. You never know. <laughs> True. True. You do never know. Yeah. Um, so in the next scene, um, both both <laughs> booth and bones. has booth has bones meet with him and agent kenton in, in an attempt office. to scare her off the case so mm-hmm. kenton notes that he worked undercover for the romano crime family but that he never really made it far up the chain he says he left before his cover was blown he warns that his sources say that the romanos know that bones is currently working on the cugini case leading them all to believe that the Romanos are the ones who are behind the drive-by. Bones Mm. gets a call from Hodgins, noting he found a parasite found in beef liver, meaning that was with the dogs and their fecal matter, meaning that the dogs were lured to Penny Hamilton's body via the beef liver. Mm -hmm. Um, And Bones notes that they could search for comparable evidence at Hollings Place to tie him to that murder to search for evidence of that beef liver parasite. Zach um, also notes that the blade for pennies um, that was used to remove her eyeballs had a nick in the blade. You know, it's funny. Which further leads breadcrumbs They never actually looked for liver in the house. No. They did not. This part is weird (laughs) to me because, like, 
how are you going to try to scare Bones knowing what she's been through? Like, you really think she's going to back down? Yeah. So my first thought is they do a good job of trying to lead you away from Kenton being the bad guy while also giving you breadcrumbs that he is the bad guy. So he says that, you know, he never made it high up in the Romano family and left before he could, before his cover was blown. When in reality, he got in with the Romano family and his cover was blown, he just switched sides. Yeah. You like, know? What got me is, like, when I was observing him, I'm like, you give me the GBs, bro. Like, I was like, you're barely involved and in very involved at the same time. Do like, you think it's <laughs> Do you think it's a hindsight thing, or did you feel this way when you first saw the episode? I think it's just because I already have seen the episode. So Yeah, I, I feel the same expect. way. Because when I look back on it, he definitely is weird. Yeah. I was like, I already had the feelings because I'm like, I already seen it. I don't know how I would have felt if it was my first time watching it. Yeah. And then when we were talking about the beef liver stuff, um, I don't think there would be any evidence of it at the house because he fed the liver to the dogs. <laughs> so yeah. he could have bought the liver, went straight to the warehouse. Uh, but it's funny how they were like, we could search like, his house for the liver and then match it, was it the eggs, mm -hmm. to the ones. And I'm like, but you never looked for it anyway. The hell. Yeah, what? it's just, it's strange. So, <laughs> so then we go to the next scene where Booth and Bones visit Hollings uh, home and they observe. As hell. He's yeah, they so observe. Creepy. What did you say? He's so creepy. Oh yeah, absolutely. He gives off the the creepiest vibes. So mm -hmm. he observe. They observe his collection of keys, and as Booth finds some suspicious keys in plain view, um, he implies that they'll be confiscating the collection. And Hollings says, you know, he wants a lawyer. Yes. So. I was just like. <laughs> You see how he put a like he put the blade in the middle of the room. I'm like, I looked. I'm like, you you gotta be a red herring. There's something off about you. Like you don't give me, what's his name? The first serial killer that we encountered. Howard Epps. Yes. I'm like, you don't really give me Epps vibes. Like you're like an imitation Epps, is what they're trying to give me the vibes of. But he don't. He reminds do me more of the stalker. Yes, him, the fish tank guy. Yes. The yeah. stalker in the in in the first episode, I could see that too, like a mixture. Cause I was like, it's like they were mm -hmm. trying to make him feel like an Epps guy, but yet mm -hmm. his vibes were giving more of the fish tank dude, the stalker from the first episode. Yeah. So it's like you got two different views going. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, you were such a creepy dude. The heck. Yeah. So I'm not a fan of. Well, let me go for the um the law enforcement side of things. So clearly the search is okay. It's good in my book because Bones and Booth are invited into the home. The keys are in plain view. The key that Booth observes, the one he believes to be in a government building, is in plain view. So, you know, they were invited in plain view. They didn't go through any drawers or anything. So the search is okay to me. I don't like how Bones picks up the knife with her bare hands. Neither do I. I, I would have instead asked Hollings to maybe pick up the knife if she wanted to see it opened. But but then again, that would be giving him a weapon to open. Or at least if she just put on some gloves. Like, you think as a scientist, she'd bring some gloves with her. She doesn't you start know? using gloves more often till later seasons. 
Yeah, so then also the fact that he's going to confiscate the keys, I don't know whether or not he would have enough probable cause to confiscate all of the keys, but then again, you know, it's up to a judge to decide whether or not they could be re-released or how long they could hold them. Mm-hmm. But um, not too mad at this scenario. I think it'll depend on what jurisdiction or police um, department as to whether or not they'd confiscate all the keys. But Could I'm not mad at you imagine setting up that room and just being like, okay, I need all the keys. <laughs> I need all keys in bowls and jars and make it look pretty for a sociopath. Yes. Let's do this. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. But also, like, if you're a key collector, you would think you'd want some kind of, like, cork board or something to display, display them all. It, yeah. Instead of them all just, like, in bowls as if they're marbles, you know? I mean, that's whatever, just me. Wh- whatever he wants, whatever he wants. Because at that whatever point, you, you put on a cork do. board, I feel like it's going to be all over the room. True. True, yeah. true. So, um, Booth meets with Hollings and his lawyer in the interrogation <laughs> room. And they talk about the validity of Booth being able to hold on to the keys. Simultaneously, Kenton comes to speak with Bones and brings her the case files on the Romano family and Bones informs him of the process of the reverse ballistics and um, how they're going to try to identify the gun. And he's just like, whoa, you can do that? She goes, I'm trying. And I'm like, okay. The shock on Kenton's face when Bones reveals how, does that how not, she's going to do How it. does that not give it away already? Like, like that's watch. exactly what gave it away to me. Like, the fact... That he's just shocked, like, oh, what? You know, like, well, gets me how he asked too. He was like, well, how do you expect to solve it? And yeah. she tells him, and he's like, oh, oh, mm-hmm. oh okay. He's then. like, oh shit, they're after me. Yes, but <laughs> they're gonna get me. Do you think it was necessary for Booth to show the pictures of the case to the attorney and Hollings? Yes, because you want to see his reaction to it. So mm-hmm. the purpose of showing him those pictures are clearly he's going to be proud of them. If he stare, well, it depends. Obviously, person to person, psychology is not an exact science, whatever. But in my mind, the purpose of showing him them is that this is his work. This is something that he's proud of. So he's going to want to stare at the pictures. Somebody who didn't commit these crimes who would probably be horrified by these crimes and it and the shock value of them being presented to you you might not want to stare at them you're probably going to turn away or take maybe a second glance you're not going to analyze them and study them and look at them like you know it's your um macaroni necklace that you're so proud of yeah you know so showing it to him is just further giving him unofficial confirmation that Hollings is behind it <laughs> which makes sense you know I could see that but mm-hmm. what uh, what was interesting to me is so after they're like talking about like you know the validity of holding the keys what I found interesting is how for the next scene Booth gives Dr. Goodman pictures mm-hmm. of the room of the keys mm-hmm. the room of the keys and seeing how they're displayed and I was like this is See the usage of Dr. Goodman and his archaeology again. Like, it's so good. It's so good. Agreed. Except when I looked up the IMBD page and they 
to fact check some stuff. They were incorrect on this episode for, let me see, when they when he was talking about what civilization kept those kind of souvenirs. <laughs> let me just pull up the page real quick. Yeah, because Dr. Goodman was talking about the, the keys on display is like power. Mm-hmm. And the most important ones will be on the right side of his desk. So that's where you should be looking. Which kind of feels more like psychology to me. Yes. And I was like, alrighty then. Like, I, I like the concept, but I had a feeling there would still be incorrection. Okay, so here here's where it says. So when discussing the case with Booth, Dr. Goodman states that the Mayans displayed the skulls of their victims in an arrangement called the Zampantli. This is wrong. The word is the same word that I can't pronounce correctly, is Nahuatl. And there's no evidence of such practice among the Mayans. The Aztecs, however, did this on a regular basis. Dr. Goodman, being an archaeologist, should be aware of this. Mm-hmm. So that's the that's their kind of goof. That's that their fact-checking. Aztec rather than Mayan. But that's not Dr. Goodman's fault because he's not a real person. Yes. But... But I agree. I think that him speaking on the trophies part, definitely archaeology. I think him talking about the right handedness. I feel like that's more of like a psychology thing. Yes. But But still good. Still useful. For sure. For sure. You notice how it's not. They slowly inch in more psychology as episodes go on. Mm -hmm. Because I mean, psychology is a big part of police investigations. Yes. To understand the human brain. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So um, at the lab, Zach and Bones discuss the eye marks and are still struggling to find out what could have created the um, pattern inside the um, eye sockets. Hodgins then reveals that he determined that the cement used on Cugini's feet came from the construction company owned by Carlo Romano, a.k.a the Romano crime family. Again, this is what I mean on how Bones and Zach are still trying to figure out what the weapon is. And I'm like, you just encountered a crap ton of keys Mm -hmm. from the suspect, and you can't even put two and two together to think, oh, this could possibly be something that was used to gouge out the eyes. Yeah, like they lay down the clues pretty thick because they say that the instrument that... um, it had grooves in it that follows up. It follows a pattern, but it doesn't quite match serrated knives or saws. And there's a huge emphasis on keys, which in in the previous scene with Hollings that totally meets the parameters of the of the weapon. So it's just, um, I feel like it's more of like trying to allow the o- the audience solve the crime with them. I guess you it know, just makes me more frustrated though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's not until the next scene when we're in like the interrogation room and then that's mm-hmm. when Bones gets the light bulb. Yes. So Bones, Booth, and Kenton are waiting to inter- interrogate um Romano when Boone when Booth when Booth <laughs> gets a phone call that Hollings possessions are to be released. Booth says that Booth says the word crenellations for some reason. I can't remember why. Mm-hmm. But this inspires Bones to realize that the eyes were carved out with a key because the crenellations, nicks, 
all of the previous things we've talked about all come together to give her this big idea. Mm. And Bones asks to have all of the keys that were confiscated imaged so that they can review them for analysis. You know what uh, gets me, though? If hmm. you notice, around in that scene, Booth says, why do you have so many keys? She goes, from my house, from my car, from my mailbox, etc." And mm-hmm. do you kind of notice the way uh, Kenton is kind of watching? I'm like, maybe mm-hmm. just because he gives me the jeebies and I already know what the next scene is. And I'm like, if this is just not. Well, I think <laughs> he's just a good actor because That's he's true. able to. I think the thing that maybe feels like it's giving it away is that Baldwin is just a good actor. He knows his yeah. character is slowly coming to the realization he's about to be found out. And most of the time, people aren't perfect with trying to remain um, hidden from what they've done wrong. Eventually, most people get found out. So he's just a good actor leaving the breadcrumbs to show that he is slowly getting desperate to try and keep that self-preservation from yes. his crimes. Because then part of me also wonders, I'm like, huh. You knew which one was the house key because you saw her. So I wouldn't be surprised yep. if somehow you took it. And obviously, Hollings' place is full of key replication. So I wouldn't be surprised mm-hmm. if he's the one who's replicating the keys. True. So then he's doing it. And maybe that's what he used as a reward for Hollings for all we know. I don't know what the relationship <laughs> is because we don't understand the relationship I don't with even Hollings know why they would. I don't even know why they'd have a relationship we, in the first we, place. We don't know. We still don't get it. But <laughs> these feel like two separate cases to me. Don't know why they interact at all. Yes. So um, then but I something was like, yeah, for instance, he probably got the key, replicated it, and that's how he got into her apartment. Mm-hmm. Something else I thought about is the fact that, like, they've built up the Romanos somewhat in this episode, and he's this huge mob boss, but then he's only seen in, like, a cameo in the interrogation room and doesn't have any speaking lines. So I completely he probably... forgot he was even in the episode, <laughs> to be honest. So he probably didn't get paid very much, because if, if you're an actor and you don't have any speaking lines, like, you know, they don't yeah, pay you as much. Like, yeah. They're fitting so much in this episode we're like we don't even have time to give Romano any speaking lines yeah they're making him this big character that doesn't even get to talk it's really funny yeah yeah pretty pretty hilarious and then moving from here we get one of the most iconic scenes in the Bones canon yeah so it's which is why this scene. episode is important yes it's such a good one Mm-hmm. So Booth comes home with Bones for protection. They listen to some music. Bones speaks with David on the phone. Booth goes to grab a drink from Bones's fridge, which sets off an explosion, knocking Booth to the ground. And, and Bones immediately runs to smother out the flames and attends to Booth's injuries. Yes. So, like, I was like, they're super cute till obviously <laughs> the blow up happens. But it's like, you see, they come in. Booth is like, you know, I'll sleep on the couch. You know, mm-hmm. where's your TV? She goes, I don't have a TV. He's like, huh? Mm-hmm. But if you think about when he's talking about the music, he goes, of course, you have world music. And then he starts They start talking about other music. He moves to the other side where it's more modern. You heard him say Kanye West. Right. And then he says jazz. And then he, you have a Bones elaborate how much she loves jazz music mm-hmm. and the concept of music. And you see Booth just in total awe of her mm-hmm. talking. Mm-hmm. And he's so <laughs> cute. And the next thing you know, he puts in the foreigner playing hot-blooded, which is obviously the iconic scene. But right. it's, well, Godly is like, she's embarrassed. I'm like, you're embarrassed. But then we randomly mentioned Kanye just out of nowhere. Like, oh, yeah, Kanye. 
They were Kanye trying to mention Jazz. relevant artists at the time. I mean, yes. he's technically still relevant, but like, you know. It, it's just so funny. I'm just like, yeah, you got Kanye, you got Jazz, and now you're embarrassed of Foreigner. What? Well, <laughs> well, you remember in The Man in the Wall, Bones likes rap, so. Yes. Not strange. It's very totally. funny, though, just the whole world music, Kanye West, Jazz <laughs> music, Foreigner. Yeah. Like, so, yes. For <laughs> me, even the most adorable moment is obviously when, you know, Booth puts on Hot Blooded by Foreigner, but when he's playing the air guitar and you see this smirk on Bone's face, like, okay, okay, I'm getting a little bit more comfortable. But then when the song heats up, she gives in and she just throws out this kick and yes. then sweeps into her air guitar. And it yes. was just so hilarious. You it's like so how adorable. they're like not singing along with the track, like they made them like bad sing on purpose. Yeah. And again, <laughs> it's the whole it takes a lot to purposely sing bad and not mm-hmm. with it. So it was really cute. And then of course David Cockblocks. I know. Calls. Another another speaking of that, another part that I like is like after she gets off the phone with David, there's mm-hmm. like this little awkward exchange with Booth. And here it's like He's, like, apologizing, implying that he didn't mean to be a cock block, you know, by staying in the apartment. And then Bones, like, assures him, you know, he's not. And then he, like, tries to break the ice, uh, break, break the ice by asking for a soda. But, like, this scene kind of reminds you that they still don't really know each other that well. Like, yeah. they've been through a lot this first season. But this scene is, like, this cute flirtation where they are still having their, they are having moments where they haven't really encountered these sorts of things or where you're kind of reminded that oh yeah they are still kind of getting to know each other they're not totally comfortable with each other yet yes and then like in when he does ask for a drink he goes she's like okay i can get you something he goes no i'm not your guest it's okay i can Mm -hmm. get it myself you know they're slowly trying to get more comfortable what did yes. get me, though, is that because she tells him where the glasses are. And I found it interesting, the attention to detail in the following scene is um, Zach mentions that had Booth not been reaching for a glass, he could have been dead. Yes. And I was like, interesting. I feel like the attention to detail in this episode is odd because you have these different they you have a ton of attention to detail but then you have these gaping plot holes at the same time yes or at least and so it much just confusion to, it reminds me of the last episode where it's like tackle one or the other make this a two-part episode so that you could flesh out a little bit more of the storyline for us to understand why these two cases are related at all yes. um because it's a really interesting premise i still love this episode i just wish it could have been a little bit more developed so that i could even more appreciate the attention to detail. You like uh, Bones' quick thinking, too. Like, the moment she saw the explosion caught on fire, she quickly grabbed the blanket Mm -hmm. and just immediately attended to him. And we're just I still think about that scene where I'm like, okay, smother the flames. Yes, always smother the flames. (laughs) Yes. How do you get rid of fire? Just smother it into the person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) You're on fire, smothered into yourself. Oh, my God. You absorb the <laughs> fire. Like, you know, they say, like, stop, drop, and roll. I'm like, when you're rolling, you're technically absorbing that fire. So you got to absorb the fire. Be <laughs> one with the fire. Absorb the fire and obtain its powers. Yes. Be a firebender, y'all. <laughs> so um, at the hospital, Bones meets Booth, who is 
clearly injured. And Mm -hmm. from reviewing his x-rays, Bones is able to see some past trauma and torture that he endured, such as shielding a now-fallen soldier who lost his weapon. Yes. And something I thought about, too, is like, again, going back to what you're saying on how they really don't know each other, is Mm -hmm. when you see the way she's reading his x-rays, she's realizing he's very strong. But mm-hmm. he's a lot more vulnerable than she thought. Mm-hmm. Like she based it's like his x-rays are like it's now him as an open book now. Like she sees him in a new light. Basically. Yes. Her her way to get to know him is is by looking at those x-rays. And then it's like her heart opens a whole new direction. The perception yes. has changed for the good. Yes. <laughs> I think also Booth is pretty cute. Um, saying how, like, he didn't need to be in the hospital, but then he, like, needs help reaching for the for pudding, pudding I was like, oh, you know? of course. Of course. <laughs> and then the irony of Booth saying that he's going to tell Kenton to keep an eye on and take care of her. Yeah. Because we're you know? like, we still don't know. We're still not supposed mm-hmm. to know anything. So... I was like, yes. alrighty, but... But it was still a cute scene, though. Just kind of Yeah, I liked it. It definitely... Bond. It definitely served to give some more backstory and build character of Booth being this long-suffering and protective kind of It opened another door to him, too, Mm -hmm. to kind of open more of his backstory and more about, like, more room to get to know him, basically. So it's nice. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all I thought, I was like, oh, how cute, singing hot-blooded till blow up. (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Wonderful. True, true. So, um, at the lab, mm-hmm. Bones and Kenton and Angela are waiting while Angela renders the bullet markings on the skull. Hodgins informs them that traces of sulfur from the explosion can be connected to Hollings and the chemical company that he works for. Mm-hmm. So, kind of relating, this is how they're relating Hollings to Sorry, there's the trash threats people against are outside Bones. again. You could hear the trash people again. Doing <laughs> Tell them work. to stop doing their job. <sighs> They're doing good. <laughs> doing the Lord's work. For sure. So I guess, so maybe this is my light bulb moment of how things are trying to be connected. So up until this point, these cases are pretty separate. So by connecting the explosion to Hollings, mm-hmm. he's, um, Kenton is somehow throwing the scent, supposedly, purposefully throwing the scent off of himself as the one who did the drive-by shooting on Bones. But that doesn't make sense because they were trying to pin it on the Romanos as the ones who were going against Bones. So that already takes suspicion off of Kenton. So what's the point of then throwing suspicion on Hollings when you already have a good scapegoat, which is the mob for doing oh, yeah, it. scapegoat, yeah. But if you also notice is when Angela's rendering the bullet markings, like she's creating like the reverse thing. Mm-hmm. You see how focused he is on it? Yes. He's very intrigued. And then that's when she's like, so you single or gay? <laughs> Angela's a hoot in this scene. Like yeah. she's just nonchalantly working on her computer and then probing Kenton at the same time about his relationship status. But it's funny because you see how the writers and them, they did that in a way of like, here, let's create a distraction. As you could tell, Throw he's off. obviously focused mm-hmm. on what she's doing. Are you single or gay? 
Yeah, you see, like, throughout this episode, Kenton being subtly, like, inquisitive about the process, about the forensics. Mm -hmm. From the first watch, you could probably see him being used, like, if you weren't going to suspect him on your first watch, you would see him as a tool to kind of represent the viewer Mm -hmm. of having the team explain things to him, which is also simultaneously explaining things to the viewer. But it also covertly shows Kenton slowly realizing, you know, that they've got the capability to find him out. So it's kind of smart. Like, there are a lot of things about this episode that I really appreciate. Yes, for sure. You you can't (laughs) ignore the the biggest weird stuff going on. Yeah, it's like a great and flawed episode at the same time. I'm just, I just am very confused. So, um, Kenton and Bones are in the, are, um... And the and FBI the... search Hollings' home. Yes, and they find that all of his keys are gone. And Bones finds a map in a drawer with a marking on the same part of town that the victim was found. So Zach calls Bones, and he notes that he found that the key... Um. Oh, sorry, that he found, found the, key. the key, and Hollings never came to pick up his stuff. He also notes that Hodgen... Founds that the key, found that the key was dipped in some sort of solution that kills organic material, which leaves DNA out of the realm of possibilities to further investigate, you know. You know what but, gets me is uh, Kenton's like, I think he's gone. And I'm like, <laughs> no shit, Sherlock. You're literally going through his drawers. He's There's freaking out. There's nothing there. And I was like... Honestly, even before they were saying like, "Oh my gosh, this was the map was placed there." I'm like, mm-hmm. if he dipped, why would you leave such an important piece in the first place? Mm-hmm. Like, bruh. So, yeah. that kind of triggered me a little bit, but this is magic. It's <laughs> just supposed to all follow along. It yes. makes sense. So- so this is where, like, he's starting to unravel, I guess you could say. Yes. Is maybe it's bothering you because you're seeing him unravel. Yeah. But nobody else is suspecting him, so it's like, is everyone blind? <laughs> yeah. The movie Are magic. Are observing? Movie yeah. magic is working. Yeah, so Hodgins comes to visit Booth at the hospital. Which is so and... sweet. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's adorable. And he keeps Booth up to date with the case. Booth is suspicious now because the map was found, and he doesn't believe Hollings would be that sloppy. So as Hodgins starts to rant about conspiracy theories, Booth starts to think that a mole made this case too clean and too easy, and asks Hodgins to take him out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. And I was like, <laughs> how interesting how the duo works. Like, I was like, I like this <laughs> duo. I like it I a do. lot. And then as, as they're going, yes, Hodgins is incredibly adorable. He's because Booth is like, what's wrong? What's wrong with Bones? He's like, I just came to check on you, bro. Anyways, Mm -hmm. can I have this pudding? I'm taking this pudding. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, same. I feel that energy. I feel that. I like, I like seeing Hodgins in his civvies, you know, with the, I like the beanie look on him. You're just realizing you, you really do love him more than Booth. I do. I think it's just, well. Hodgins hasn't been as problematic yet, but once he gets there, I'll 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 talk about it more. Oh, for but, sure. <laughs> but I also think um, this was a really smart scene as Hodgins being the perfect person to kind of coax Booth into trusting his gut because 
Booth is able to kind of have the idea of a conspiracy in his mind because Hodgins is kind of throwing out these large, complex ideas that clearly don't apply, but then mm-hmm. Booth is able to have that kind of inspire him to realize that, hey, something sketchy is going on. So I but think you, it was a really a smart choice to have Hodgins visit him. You like the moment that Booth looks at Hodgins, he goes, all right, you're driving. Hodgins like, cool. <laughs> like, no hesitation. He's like, cool. Got it. He's like, I like that. <laughs> Let's do this. Yes. That so energy. Kenshin, I could take this duo on over and over yes. again. I like this duo. I'll take them both. Yes. Keep them together. I'll take them. Um, so Kenton says. So Kenton's in the car, in the car with Bones, and she and is fighting to stay with him the entire time. He's like, yes. she's like, I'm coming with you. Like she insists. Mm-hmm. He's like, she's like, I need to be a part of this thing. Yes, you cannot get rid of me. Yes, and uh, Kenton says that he just got a call that a woman was being spotted taking into an ab- taking being taken into an abandoned building. And, of course, Bones insists on coming along. And as Bones is about to um, call Zach, Kenton points a gun at her, thus revealing himself as the bad guy all along. Dun, um, dun, dun. In, pa- <laughs> in parallel, Hodgin drives, Hodgins is driving Booth in a Mini Cooper, a red Mini Cooper. It's adorable. And uh, Booth says that Kenton was working in the organized crime at the same time Cugini was killed. And the only one who knew about the details of both investigations. And by using those details about Hollings to throw them off his trail. And Booth calls in backup. So this is where they start to lose me. What about you? This is where I was like, okay, I see the connection on why they tried to make a connection. Because it was into the next scene when Kenton starts saying, oh yeah, I killed Kujini. And then he starts Mm -hmm. explaining his story. I'm like, okay, well I get... How you're related to both situations, but why do we need to investigate both of them at the same time? Was it really that fresh? And then I'm like, so, and then it kind of goes into what you were ranting about earlier is what the hell is Hollings' situation here? Where is yeah. his, like, where is, like, we get the whole Kenton and the mafia, we get it. Okay? That makes perfect we sense. We got to that. Me. We got it, okay? He was working organized crime. He ended up joining mm-hmm. the organized crime. Okay, we get it. So what was the purpose and the reasoning for him to be killing other these other young girls? Like, what was it? They never said. They just said, you know, they tortured. And then they were saying on how um, Hollings was sometimes brutal. Like, he wanted, he was the one who gouged out the girl's eyes and stuff. And I'm like, okay, so what was the reason though bro we don't know your relation to it and we don't know why you're killing him it doesn't say like what is their relation is there like a relationship going on with the mafia somehow like are they the call girls like what what is it yeah so like my understanding is i get obviously that kenton killed kujini um so his cover wouldn't be blown or you know because he's a part of the mob boss whatever and i just don't understand what Hollings has to do with any of it. I don't understand why he would need to be a scapegoat when, to me, and then why'd the you mafia kill him? is a great scapegoat. Like, why'd you kill him after, too? Like, why? what was the purpose of killing Hollings? Yeah, so that he could blame Bones' murder on Hollings. But then, why not just make Bones' murder look like a mob killing? Because you've already built already have that. that part of the story. <laughs> That Bones is being He's just doing a lot more work than he's supposed to. You're yeah, o- I just, overkilling. 
I just don't understand it. And I think that they're both really interesting storylines. And if you want to connect them somehow, great, but I'm missing the connection. I get how we figure out Kenton is a bad dude. I get how he kills Kujini. I don't get what Hollings has to do with any of it. I, it's like I mean, we get there's the connection they try to give us, but it's like, okay, but it doesn't feel solid enough. Like, but I don't even know more. what that is. What is the connection they're trying to give us? Well, that's, that's the thing. what I don't the, know. The connect. Oh, and what I'm saying is the connection is Kenton. He's supposed to be the connection. Okay. What yeah, we yeah. don't get is there's no solid connection. We're like we get that Kenton is the connection, but why? It's yeah, not solid enough for us. We don't. Yeah, he's get supposed it. to be the connection, but we don't know how or or why. Yeah. For sure. So like, is it just for shits and giggles? Like he just felt like killing more. Like. What yeah, was the purpose. It doesn't make any sense. So at at the warehouse, it. we go in further, and Kenton reveals obviously that he killed Kujini and was paid by the Romanos. Kenton, to you know, oh, I put a little bit of my own opinion in the freaking description. <laughs> um, I think Kenton was dumb in the first place for using his federal f- weapon to kill Kujini. Mm-hmm. Because he says, oh, if you match the ballistics, it's going to come back to my firearm. Okay, so why did you use your federal firearm to kill Kujini? That's like, why didn't you have him, a backup bro. gun? That's all he had on him. He was not prepared. <laughs> he didn't have a Tommy gun like the rest of them. <laughs> I just don't get it. Um, but um, Bones and Kenton, they fight about they fight in the abandoned warehouse when he, you know, he knocks out Bones. And Booth simultaneously tells Hodgins that Hollings is missing because he believes that Kenton killed him. He gets a call uh, that a couple was seen getting into the abandoned warehouse. So it's kind of funny because in the previous scene, you have Kenton saying he got that same call. But then you get Booth getting that call because that call is Kenton. Yeah. So it's pretty funny. But it's interesting. What gets (laughs) me is so you know how they're in the warehouse now and you Mm -hmm. see dogs. Well, mm-hmm. it's interesting how prior when there is a situation of the dogs mauling off the girl, they said, oh, yeah, there were some stray dogs. So I'm thinking, oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, maybe he just casually likes to find stray dogs or maybe he's the same ones mm-hmm. or whatever. But I'm like, they don't look like stray dogs. They look well fed. Well, that's <laughs> because he's recreating. He's doing a frame job on yes. Hollings because Hollings is the one who killed Penny Hamilton. He's the one who found the stray dogs and did yes, the escalation. Yes, I know. But I'm sitting here like, you found some well-fed dogs, and you were like, let's make them Rottweilers, and let's make sure they're ferocious just because. And here's the further flaw of trying to pin this on Hollings. If he's already killed Hollings, when they find Hollings' body, they're going to see that he died before Bones was murdered. Yeah. So, so it how is that going to make sense as him as the scapegoat if he was dead before he could have killed Bones? If you're you, going to frame him, you know what statement I did like though when um, Booth was getting the call and him and Hodgins are talking. Mm-hmm. I did like Hodgins' comment. He goes, "Man, it's more intense when you're living in the conspiracy, not just talking about it." <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, "Yes, Hodgins. Yes, honey. When you're Hodgins not so discussing cute. it and you're in it, it is way." intense and he is living for it okay <laughs> literally living for it because when they get to the funny. warehouse they ask um booth to put on a vest and i'm like how you gonna put that on booth how you gonna put it on right and he's like here hodgins <laughs> put this on he's like all right i'm gonna put this on 
<laughs> so speaking of that scene, as the FBI arrives, mm-hmm. Kenton is trying is tying up bones. He, you know, reveals that he killed Hollings and that he's going to use that Hollings reason the whole shenanigans behind the keys was that he would use them to unlock the souls behind the eyes of the women. In the meantime, Booth insists on going in the building and because he can't get the vest on, he brings in Hodgins. As Kenton takes out a pocket knife and puts a nick in the blade, Booth and Hodgins take a different route, and Booth sees Bones' keys on the floor, meaning that they're close, and back with Bones and Kenton, he reaches to hit Bones, and then Booth shoots him, rescuing Bones, and they embrace. I'm sorry, but how do you not hear barking dogs the entire time? (laughs) Like, I'm is sad. this a maze or a warehouse? Like, what's like, going on here? What, what part of this do we not hear barking dogs and literally Bones is screaming? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you, she's still pretty loud, even gag. And you can hear him obviously talking. I'm like, but you, they found her keys and you still don't hear dogs. I know. But so... I like that attention to detail because they showed her keys earlier. They and were they want to show it again. Yeah. And they, they, like, and they oh. brought it back. Yes. Yeah, so stuff. I liked that. But I'm sitting here like, how are you not hearing these dogs? They loud as hell. There's two dogs. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you don't hear them? You don't hear them. Okay. Yes. Whatever. So this scene is totally iconic. Yes. Um, and I believe where it's he used in the previews them. later on. Yes. Where he um, saves her and like he tries to undo the thing, but he puts his uh, head between her arms as she's tied up <sighs> and he pulls her. <sighs> That's iconic, <sighs> yo. Iconic scenes oh, in the my movie. heart. Yes, I love that scene. And they're just cry. She cry, and he's like, "I'm here. It's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm here." And I'm like, mm-hmm. "Yes, baby, you here for her. You mm-hmm. here. We here." Yes, this is why I love Bo- uh, Bones and Booth together. They're just adorable. Yes, and don't get me wrong Show though, me. I wouldn't mind Booth and Hodges if that duo got together. I, I wouldn't mind. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. So so after this scene, we're back at the hospital. Mm-hmm. And um, Booth apologizes to Bones for putting her in harm's way. And Bones gets a call from David to meet him for their date. And Bones returns, revealing that she just rescheduled the date and decides to stay with Booth instead and watch TV. If you notice when the scene opened, uh, Booth was telling Bones that Kenton did like a full confession. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, he already knows his Emmeline, so he might as well. And I was like, interesting. Do you believe he would have been more likely to just confess everything? Yeah, because probably he's got a lot of crap on the Romanos and is willing to cooperate. That makes sense. Because I was like, you he know. was already confessing to Bones for whatever reason, just movie magic. <laughs> he was confessing. The rambling you know. villain. Yes. So here's <laughs> my only gripe with this scene, okay? Mm. So and it, it, it completely is ridiculous and unuseful information so booth turns on the tv and it's he's clearly watching a movie it almost looks like an affair to remember with Cary grant because it's in color and whatever but then you don't see him switch the channel and you hear quotes from the movie the grapes of wrath it's like henry fonda (laughs) saying you know i'll be there whatever and that movie's in black and white so they didn't show him switching the channel they put on The Grapes of Wrath, which is like, it's a Steinbeck novel turned into a movie. 
And it just grinds my gears because I hate The Grapes of Wrath. I hate it so much. <laughs> if you just want to read a book about describing dirt, read The Grapes of Wrath. I understand its cultural significance. I understand the point of talking about, you know, the migration of people to California <laughs> during the Great Depression, yada, yada, yada. But I just, I can't stand Steinbeck. And I don't know why it was oh, inserted. So <laughs> it was inserted in Bones, which is my safe space. You it, inserted the Grapes of Wrath in Bones. If I'm makes, having high school flashbacks. If it makes you feel better. The thing that was catching my eye is when she answers the phone, when David, uh, you know, called her, she said, I'm leaving right now, and then hung up the phone. I'm like, <laughs> bruh. Savage. <laughs> like, she just answered, said, I'm leaving right now. Hangs up the phone. Like, attitude? Savage. Do you not? Like, what? She never says goodbye to him on the phone, ever. She never says hello either. She just said, mm -hmm. I'm leaving right now. Hangs up the phone. Done. Mm -hmm. Like, every time. All right. That mm -hmm. energy we need. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, she ends up staying. She goes, my head still hurts. I rescheduled. She just stayed next to Booth. I do remember my first thought when I first watched. I was like, Lay in the bed with him. Lay in the okay, bed with so him. interesting, interesting. Um, when I was reading the IMBD page, apparently uh, uh, Emily Deschanel wanted to do that. Oh. Wanted to sit on the bed with him, but the uh, you know directors and writers, they thought it would have been too much. They probably thought it was too early. Yeah. I mean, it's season one, and they still have seven seasons to, to make a swoon and um, pine. Until so. we get to the part where they totally fuck up the whole build-up in the first place. But we'll <laughs> get there when we get there. Yes. But so, yeah. it, at least the thought was there, because I was like... Mm -hmm. she's, she not? Honestly, she should have been directing from the start. She definitely She's got a good eye. Have. I believe her. I'm so curious if you found anything on their comments on how they probably should have played out them two getting together. Cause I don't know, I have to look into it. I feel like we have been robbed. I feel like everyone feels like we've all been robbed. Yeah, nobody's happy with how they turn things out. And I understand the problems behind it, but but I think I would have had different solutions to yes. that, to those problems. Yes. So other um, than that episode, it's solid with a lot solid. of <laughs> questions. I would say I would describe this episode as solid but with but potential. Like, this episode yeah. had more potential. I feel like this was underdeveloped and could have been an even better episode. But it the good things about it outweigh it so that you forget that there are even plot holes. So that you're yes. only catching it when you're analyzing it I years later. I do prefer this episode more than episode 14, though. I wasn't yes. sitting here with the same damn conversation. I felt like the story kept moving. It's just mm -hmm. questions started to come up later. And the man, like, mm. yeah. The man on the fairway was boring, but tried to give you emotion. This episode was engaging and then actually did do a good job of giving you some, some emotion at the end. Yes. Considering we got two iconic scenes in, <laughs> in this episode. So yes. hot blooded and the warehouse scene. Yeah, yes. I didn't even, uh, yeah, I didn't even realize they were part of the same episode. Yes. Sometimes you one. forget that, but it's it is very good. 
Yeah, so I, I still love this episode. I think it's a great one. I think it would have been even better had they split it into two parts and made it like, like a two-parter and developed more the connection between Kenton and Hollings. If anything, they need to split the 14th episode first and then they'll do the 15th. Because yeah. they both had so much potential. Just, shoo, went down the drain on mm-hmm. the 14th one, yo. True, 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 true. Yep. yep. So that's... That wraps the up the 15th mm-hmm. episode. And now we're going to go into our true crime part. What do you got for today? So <laughs> I have many options on what to do for this episode, but there was a main component that really spoke to me about which one to pick for this one. Okay. Okay. And I'll just let you figure it out as we go. Uh. <laughs> interesting all right okay so this is a serial killer episode which means that you know the information about the victims and their live it lives is going to be typically more limited than when we do other crimes mm-hmm. um and because the victims in this case are one victims of a serial killer minorities prostitutes there's going to be even less information available Um, But that doesn't mean that these people didn't have families or people who loved them or people who mourned their death. Yeah. So that's kind of my disclaimer. Okay. For this episode. Um, Is it old? Is it? Relatively old. It happened in the 90s. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. So the murders take place in Oak Cliff, which is in Dallas, Texas. During this time period... Um, There are a lot of abandoned properties, increased criminal activity to include drugs, gangs, prostitution. Um, There were these places called horror hotels, and that's where women uh, would take their clients. um, Straight up horror hotels. That's what they were dubbed. It wasn't straight up called. I thought thought you meant literally (laughs) called a horror hotel. Like, damn. Okay. Yeah. At this time, Dallas was having a record-breaking number of murders, um, averaging two a day. Oh, my goodness. So, it was very, very dangerous in Dallas during the early 90s. So, um... Was it during the summertime? Uh, actually, no. The first murder happens in December. Really? Mm-hmm. So the cold is making him crazy, not the summer heat. Right. <laughs> I think he just crazy, crazy. Oh, yeah. You said serial killer. So it's just one dude. <laughs> yes. All right. So our first victim is Mary Lou Pratt. She was 33 years old. Um, she's described as never necessarily wearing sexy clothing. I mean, her occupation is she's a prostitute. Um, She would stand quietly on her corner wearing blue jeans, tennis shoes, and some small t-shirts. Occasionally, at the end of the night, she would ask one of her regulars to drive her to her parents' home in South Dallas, Mm -hmm. a suburb of Lancaster. Her parents were an old retired couple, Mm -hmm. so they never knew about her double life. But they would call out goodnight to her as she'd climb into her childhood bed. Uh, she was struggling with drug use, and any extra money would usually go towards that. So, Aww. she 
definitely had people who loved her, but she was struggling and using this occupation to kind of keep up with that struggle. Mental health is a bitch, you. You said it. You said it. Even when you have loving parents, you can still go through a hard time. These are facts. Mm -hmm. So on December 13th, 1990, she was found on the street. Her body was sprawled out like a display. She was nearly naked. And she had a bullet wound in her head from a forty-four caliber bullet. It was clear that this was not the crime scene, but that she was moved to this location from where she was murdered. And um, he displayed her like the Black Dahlia? Uh, well, she's not been dismembered. Sure, she's but it's just still on display. Yes, a lot of serial killers will position or display their victims as a part of the process that gives them pleasure is enjoying the fact that people will be shocked by you know the presence of the body you know yeah the wow factor Mm -hmm. so there were no witnesses outside of a neighbor hearing a car door shut and drive away so nobody can really say that they saw anything so how they Um, find her who found her um she was just, they didn't necessarily say, but she was in the street. So oh, somebody so just so called 911. Um, the medical examiner during her autopsy observed track marks on Mary's arm, con- you know, conclusive to her drug use. Mm-hmm. And um, when she went to go look at Mary's eye color, she noticed that her eyes had been removed with surgical precision. Yikes. <laughs> Bruh. <laughs> Your face. Your face, dude. <laughs> you gotta go and be like, I'm going for the eyeballs. <laughs> they juicy. Bruh. Her eyeballs were removed with surgical precision. What was most surprising about this, though, was that there was not a mark or a nick on her eyelids. So your eyelids are such a delicate um, part of your face. And... To kind of explain how hard this would be, the murderer would have needed to slide their knife knife beneath the eyelid and cut the six major muscle groups connecting the eye and then shut the eyelid in such a way that you couldn't perceive that the eye had been removed. There is no textbook procedure on how to remove eyeballs. Is he an eye doctor? <laughs> Like, like no, this isn't even this isn't even a medical procedure. What? Like that's not even in a textbook. What do you do? Just like, stab the eye and pop it out? Like no, what? like literally, he would have had to to slide the knife underneath the eye without what? nicking it from the inside, and and delicately cut the different muscles. He literally to cared to where he was like, I need to preserve these eyeballs. Mm-hmm. So what? a rape kit is he selling <laughs> this on the black market? Like what? A rape kit was also completed, but it came out negative. But they did find um a hair. So it doesn't appear that she was raped, but they did find a hair. Interesting. Yeah. So like to to like not even leave a scratch on the eyelids to be able to remove the eyes like that. It's crazy. And there's no medical procedure created to to do that so this guy is 
not only doing this with surgical precision, but with surgical knowledge that isn't even surgical knowledge, if that makes sense. Bruh. He's like, <laughs> so, it's like, you're that talented. You don't even yeah. need to go to med school to be that good. That good, that bad, that good bad. The good bad, yeah. The good the bad. The technique. Like, he shocked the medical examiner. Like, the medical examiner opened up the eyes and was like, what? How? This makes no sense. That's, wow. So, um, not too much longer later, I believe in February, so this is like two months later, um, Susan Beth Peterson, she's 27 years old. This she is two months be- later? This is in February. Okay. So, December to February. Okay. So, she's 27 years old. She used to be in the Navy. Navy. She's described as very tough. She would threaten other prostitutes who would work close to her corner. She would curse out other prostitutes, cops, and clients. Like, she she ran her stuff. Um, her time in the military made her very cautious and street savvy. She wouldn't get into cars with people she didn't know. She had regulars going to the same places, things like that. That's crazy, though. She was in the Navy and became a corner chick. Like, Well, it's not as uncommon as you think. Really? Um, with what with what veterans of the army like veterans of the military in general um there's not a lot of good aftercare for them for when they get back and yes. they are kind of left to cope with the trauma that they that they had dealt endure, with yeah and that's why you have so many homeless veterans and so the fact that she you know was is a vet and then went into this line of work it's really sad but it's not shocking wow you know i would have never like i knew that's how they treated them i just would have never thought it was a common thing for them to end up there doing stuff like that yeah i mean a variety of things so um i think maybe you just don't hear about it as much because of the female aspect yeah you know yeah um so, so this is February, February tenth, nineteen ninety one. Okay, uh, her body is found on the same road that Mary was found. She's nearly naked, with an empty condom wrapper beside her. She was shot three times by a forty four caliber bullet in the top and back of her head, and then in the left breast. Damn. Um, yeah, the autopsy found no semen or biological material, but her eyes had been removed as well. The police knew that if Susan could have been killed by this same guy, then he must be very well known and aware of the Oak Cliff Prostitution District because Susan would not have gotten into a car with some random guy. She only would have gotten into a car with someone she someone, may have yeah. potentially trusted as a regular. So, what the fuck? Meaning that he's either a resident of the Oak Cliff area or that he frequents the Oak Cliff area. Oh, unless it's a chick. That would be interesting. Yeah. That would be interesting. So they kind of have a psychological profile completed. Obviously, this is a sexual nature of a crime, most likely motivated by power and anger. Mm-hmm. Um prostitutes are he literally shot her in the boob (laughs) (laughs) they're a large victim base for serial killers 
and sexually motivated crimes. Um, the way that the body was left was intended to send a message that the, the killer wasn't trying to hide anything, that they were proud. Um, this would, um, they... Are you okay? He would, sorry, I'm like <laughs> losing my place. Um, they believed him to be a white educated male in his mid thirties. Um, he would have been respected in his community to be friends with those in power or in law enforcement. He would also drive an older model pickup truck. Um, he was happy. He would be happy by the press generated from his crimes and would enjoy that he held the community in fear. So that's the profile that they gave the killer. Interesting. Just based off of two people, that's what they got so far. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, could, I could see Which, that. You know, it's not too far off. I'm not really sure where the pickup truck comes into play, but the idea that he's a middle-aged white male, I mean, both of the victims so far are white, and it's very rare for serial killers to kill outside of their race. Murderers mm-hmm. in general to kill outside of their race. It can happen, but it's not common. Mm-hmm. Mid-30s. You know, um, smart enough to, I mean, not as immature, crimes aren't messy, things like that. So I could, I could see that. Um, so the public's response to this was everybody was in a panic. They put up warning flyers about the deaths. Um, the police, though, intentionally left out the details about the eyeballs missing because it was such a unique part of the crime Holding this back would allow the killer to reveal himself should they question him. And he, you know, mentions it or alludes to it because it's an item that they held back from the public. Plus, they don't want everyone to know, like, yes, he gouges eyes. Mm-hmm. But some dumbass detective leaks the fact that the faces were, quote, significantly mutilated. Um, Unless to the it press. was the detective. Yeah. (laughs) So the press, you know, everybody freaks out. They're thinking this is like a Jack the Ripper type of scenario. Mm -hmm. Um, Nobody knows it's the eyeballs, but they're hearing this thing about facial disfigurement. So everybody's freaking out. Um, The cops staked out hotels. They sent out undercover female officers that seemed to be his type, but really didn't gather much other information. It's Um, someone working inside. They have to know. (laughs) They know. that that does happen. I mean, you had recently the the Golden State Killer guy was a former police officer, oh, so it's shit. not unheard of. Oh shit! Um, but as I said before, something that we know about murderers in general is that they rarely kill people outside of their race. So mm-hmm. because Susan and Mary were both white, mm-hmm. therefore the non-white prostitutes felt somewhat secure against these attacks. You know, to an extent. To an extent. Um, so another prostitute, Veronica Rodriguez, comes forward with a statement for the police. Mm. She says that she was with Mary, the first victim, the night she was killed. That she had had a threesome with Mary and the suspect. What they the had fuck? Gone, mm-hmm, she says they went to a vacant field. And as she was getting dressed, Mary walked off with the suspect and they got into an argument. She saw Mary get shot in the head. Veronica described the man as middle as a white and middle-aged with salt and pepper hair. She said he had a white pickup truck. She ran to a nearby house for help. The man there, Paxton Schindler, said he knew who was stalking the prostitutes. 
Um, he didn't have any prior criminal history, the Schindler guy, but he wasn't the owner of the house. The owner of the house was a Charles and Fred Albright. Mm-hmm. Um, but Veronica had a severe history of drug use and didn't appear to be lucid most of the time. The police saw her as a notorious liar, somebody who was always high. So they really only took her story with a grain of salt because... Because they don't know how sober she really was. Yeah, they don't trust her as a credible witness. So at this point, the case kind of stalls. But kind of interesting, though, of how spot on she says he's a white guy, middle-aged, and that he has a pickup truck. I mean, it's not crazy details, but it, it kind of matches up. It's interesting, though, because it was literally like to just conjure up something like that. And then that's exactly what you end up getting. It's like, whoa. But it's interesting mm-hmm. how they didn't take her seriously, though considering what she just said matched your description. But mm-hmm. it makes okay. sense. She wasn't very credible, but still, you would think you would take it more. Or follow up a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. So fast forward to the next month, March. Mm-hmm. Um, Shirley Williams, who unfortunately, I couldn't even find a birthday for her. Like literally, she was the person I found the least information on. Which is sad, but not shocking. She is the black victim oh. of this case, which is unique because the she two previous victims were white. Yeah. And so. Shirley Williams was black. She went she, for a black person. And which crazy. is even more unfortunate that I can't even get a freaking birthday for her or any other information. Um, she was supposedly around 40, 41 years old. Mm-hmm. Some articles say that she was a waitress. Other ones are saying that she's a maid. Mm-hmm. Um, the only information I could find was that she was a hard worker. Um, That's good, though. March 10th, 1991, she was found naked in front of an elementary school Bro. with an empty condom package. Bro. Of an elementary school. In front of an elementary school. You really said, let's traumatize these kids real quick. Like, you just, like, obviously, the all of these victims, the way they were killed is sad. But what's worse about this one is you can't find any other information on her. She doesn't even have a sheet covering her, and she's in front of an elementary school. Like, come on now. You so want like, like, bruh. Clearly, he did this for a reason. Yes. You know, he hates all women, but he, clearly he saw Shirley as lesser than the other women who he thought of as dirt maybe you tried dating a teacher and she just turned him down and he's like let me traumatize you and your students real quick maybe maybe but um so she was found naked again with the condom package she had facial bruises and a broken nose she had been shot in the face through the top of her head and the difference with this crime is that shirley's eyes were removed but it seemed to be a rushed job, a rushed job, and was less precise. You saw, um, like a a nick on her eyelid and a piece of the exacto knife broken off into the bone. Um, so he didn't have as much time <clears throat> to remove her eyes for some reason. He but there was no biological enough. material found. He either didn't have enough time, or he didn't care as much. Mm-hmm. He's mm-hmm. like, this is my third victim. I don't care. Yeah. They did find a pubic hair, though. So, so. he got sloppy. Mm-hmm. So, um, seeing as now the killer didn't have a racial preference, hysteria bumped up. Because now, 
everybody could be a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, so the prostitutes in the Oak Cliff District started to come forward and wanted to help and cooperate with the police. Mm-hmm. In particular, a 17-year-old uh, Brenda White was interviewed, and she said that she had a run-in with the suspect. She said he didn't want to do what Brenda normally did. Normally, she'd go to a hotel, but this guy just wanted to drive around. Apparently, he attacked her, choked her, and she maced him and escaped and ran for her life. There you go. Yeah. So, it's really amazing how some of these women are so brave and able to get out of these crazy situations. It's like they were prepared. They knew what they were getting themselves into, so they prepared. Yes. Yes, so she remembered his face and said he was a well-built, middle-aged man with salt-and-pepper hair. Mm-hmm. So it matched so the other girl's statement. Matched Veronica Rodriguez. Yes. Mm-hmm. So a confidential informant calls the police department, and Officer Cook, you know, he's on the phone and he's saying the address. And another, Sergeant Smith, overhears the address And asks him what's going on. He says that the girl on the phone is saying she knew the killer and that he had a thing for X-Acto knives. That he's a 57-year-old Charles Albright. Now, if that name sounds familiar, it's the owner of the house of Paxton Schindler. The house that Veronica Rodriguez says she went for help that was nearby. Yeah. So this 57-year-old Charles Albright is the owner of the home that Veronica Rodriguez ran to after having a run-in. And that person there took her in, but didn't harm her. No, and he said he knew who was doing the killings. He knew that he was doing the killings. No, he said he knew who was doing the killings. He just didn't say who. Mm -hmm. But he knows because he obviously lives in the house. (laughs) So Albright's criminal history uh, includes assault theft and molesting an underage 14 year old girl my goodness Um, they show his picture to um to brenda white the one who said she had the run-in with him and survived yeah she says that it's him but that only connects him to her attack it doesn't connect him to the murders everything yeah and so the only witness they have is veronica rodriguez so always not so they (laughs) should So they show her six different photos, and she sees the one of Charles Albright, and she's terrified. She flips over his photo and signs her name to it and positively IDs him as the killer. Yikes. So she was sober enough to identify him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles Albright, he was divorced with one child. He lived with his common-law wife. He owned the rental property near the dump of the two victims. And as I said, Veronica Rodriguez was the only one to tie him to the murders, but was not seen as a credible witness. So they had to do some further investigation um, to, to tie him into this. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the cops try to establish him as being in the area of the, of the district. And so they show his photo to, the different prostitutes in town, and everybody IDs him as a regular. Um, on one occasion, he even hired two women to and tied them down, beat them, and yelled at them, saying, bitch, you know you love it. When was this? So he's um, clearly has 
these uh differing interests when did he do that sexually. one they didn't say this is just an anecdote that they include wow. that he's done that before so he's done he has a history for sure yes so they kind of deem him a sadomasochist meaning that he likes to do the hurting and he likes to be hurt so they searched his truck but didn't find anything they searched his home and they found a collection of guns hidden in the mantelpiece, but no 44 caliber. Mm. But they did find 44 caliber ammunition. Um, in one drawer, they find condoms of the same brand. And then in another drawer, they find a um, collection of exacto knives. But all this is still circumstantial, nothing definitively tying him. Nothing to pin him to down. Outside of Veronica Rodriguez's statement. So um, another prostitute, Tina Connolly, said that she worked with Shirley the night of her murder. She mm-hmm. says that it was raining hard. Shirley was Tina- the third victim? Correct. Okay. And so Tina wanted to go home and Shirley wanted to stay out and continue to work. So Tina loaned Shirley her yellow raincoat and saw Shirley get into a white pickup truck. Tina showed the police, the field that Shirley would typically take people, and they found that yellow raincoat. So they found Shirley's blood on the coat and one very peculiar hair. So when they looked at it under a microscope and, like, compared it to human hair, it's different. So when you look at a piece of hair under a microscope, it's, like, kind of like the roofing of a house where you see these different shingles kind of overlapping on top of each other. Yeah. And it's got a core to it. You know, there's a core and inner part of your hair. Well, when they looked at this hair, it didn't really match any hair that they'd ever seen. Um, The pattern of the shingles was completely different. And the core was very large. Ultimately, they figured out that it was the it was a tail hair from a squirrel. (laughs) So, (laughs) like, apparently they hadn't really seen a lot of tail squirrel hairs that's funny but so they're like okay they've got the squirrel hair maybe the killer's got the squirrel hair on him somehow so when they searched albright's home they looked at the contents of his vacuum cleaner and in the vacuum cleaner they found a squirrel hair mm. from a tail <laughs> that they could match <laughs> oh, connecting no. to shirley's jacket um they also matched his hair and pubic hair to the ones that were found on the victims and they seemed to be a visual match so they built up a little bit more to the case so some background on charles albright to kind of maybe somewhat answer a few questions so um skip hollinsworth wrote an article about the eyeball killer he's kind of a legend when it comes to true crime articles so with um you know, in Texas. So if you ever read or look him up, very fascinating guy, mm-hmm. great writer. Um, mm-hmm. So he did some background research onto Charles Albright's history. Um, he was adopted. And for some reason, he believed that his birth mother was a prostitute. His adoptive mother was very loving, but a bit overbearing. They would do taxidermy together as... <laughs> As, I don't know, a bonding kind of thing? I don't know. Is this his adopted mom? Yes. Okay. And 
she was too cheap to buy like the legit glass eyes that they use in taxidermy and instead would give him buttons to sew on the eyes of the animals that they would stuff. Coraline style. (laughs) Eyes. He needed their eyeballs for his taxidermy. He's just obsessed with eyes. There's even this one story about like when he was in college and his friend had broken up with their girlfriend and thrown away pictures of her and then he had gotten all the pictures and then cut out her eyes and then posted it all over the friend's dorm room what and i'm like for what like you did this for what what like was this supposed to be funny i don't understand i'd be concerned if i was the roommate i'd be like but you okay bro yeah he's got like a long kind of conning history or whatever but ultimately um you know, it's a good thing not... his uh, ex-wife got out okay. Seriously. Seriously. So he's got, you know, the history of sexually molesting the 14-year-old. He even, like, faked a degree so he could get a job as a teacher and a coach. He has a child. One time. You know, but he was, like, somewhat college-educated, ed- and he didn't have a full-time job, worked mostly part-time, but was living off the inheritance that he had gotten from his adoptive mother. You said he had a child, didn't you? Yes, but there's not a lot of info about that. Oh, we don't even know it's a boy or a girl? No, no. Mm. So March 23rd, 1991, mm-hmm. um, Albright is arrested and charged with three counts of murder. He argued that it was his tenant, Paxton Schindler, who committed the murders. But Schindler's hair didn't match anything and his description didn't match Jack, so... <laughs> um, he also told the police that he had never been with a prostitute before, which also makes him look like an idiot because all of the prostitutes in the district identified him as a regular. Yeah. So obviously another lie. But he did admit that he's fascinated with eyes. So there was that. But to this day, he still thinks he still says he's innocent. Um, his trial began on December 13th, 1991, pretty much a year after he had murdered Mary Lou Pratt. So the evidence was obviously mostly circumstantial. The hairs found at Shirley Williams' murder matched Albright's hair. So on December 18, 1991, just five days after the trial began, the jury deliberated and found him guilty of only Shirley Williams' murder and sentenced him to life imprisonment. They didn't have enough evidence to convict him of Mary Lou Pratt or Susan Beth Peterson's murders. They couldn't find the eyeballs. I still like I don't know where what he, he he's one of those where he's still denying it to this day. So his most recent vie for parole was on June 28th, 2018, and he was denied based on uh his criminal history and the nature of his offense. What did he so get charged he comes with? Up he got, uh, he got, was it, what did he get sentenced? Life imprisonment. Life imprisonment. Yes, but not without the possibility of parole, apparently. He's up for parole again in 2022, so I doubt he'll be released ever. But that is the story of the murders of Shirley Williams. Mary Lou Pratt, and Susan Beth Peterson. What in the crap? 
Yes. So my connection to the Bones episode was the removal of eyeballs by a serial killer. But he did it with exacto knives. <clears throat> Much better precision than with a key because Oh my gosh. Uh, that would be hell? so messy. That would be so messy to it use. It wouldn't a key be good for his taxidermy eyes. animals, so mm. who knew a squirrel would be the one? Travel yeah. all together. The and, squirrel's um, the MVP. And obviously, I use I definitely use a lot of forensic files. Clearly, but um, it's actually a special episode of forensic files called "See No Evil." And when you see the image of like the squirrel hair under a microscope versus like the human hair, you're like, "What am I looking at? <laughs> it <laughs> looks like a zipper. <laughs> like this is a hair. Like I just, That's funny. I just don't get it." Um, but it's a great, great episode. Also, the um, uh, article by Skip Hollinsworth, serial killer Charles Frederick Albright, the Texas eyeball killer, is a fascinating article that t- goes into a lot of different details as well. And then I also used this one blog post where I found the birthdays of the victims, mm-hmm. um, usually through Find a Grave. So, of course, I'll always post our sources in the description if you guys want to do some further reading or looking but um a lot of similarities obviously pretentious serial killer but um i'm shook (laughs) yeah they never really gave the reason as to um haulings um for bones motives the bones bones. yeah Mm -hmm. like in this one, it's clear that uh, Charles just... Albright hated all women and thought all women were whores and particularly preyed on prostitutes as the ultimate embodiment of that. Especially but with he Hollings, thought his mom was one, too. Mm-hmm. And with Hollings, there's only the connection of the girls being young. You don't get the background of what the first victim was like. The only thing you hear about Penny Hamilton was that she was a medical and a college student and that Hollings wanted to unlock the souls behind their eyes. So his motives are kind of unclear. Yeah, it's kind of out of whack. So, yeah. Um, But yeah, so that that's that episode. Um, I will post, obviously, the pictures of of the victims we do we do thankfully have those this time at least unlike the anthony porter episode where yeah we barely had anything i will note again though that there is really only one picture on the internet of shirley williams i can't find anything else there are a couple of pictures of susan beth peterson and of mary lou pratt Mm -hmm. um that you can take a look at at these women but um they yeah. all seem to, you know, obviously, they were all pretty young, like 30s and 40s, like late Yeah, late 20s, late 20s. 30s, and 40s. I was like, wow, mm-hmm. that sucks. Yeah, but um, but thankfully, he's behind bars, and he didn't get to kill anymore. Thank goodness. I just, I want to know what happened to those eyeballs. I do, too. I want to know where, what he did with them or why. What all was I the fascination think, with the eyes? All I can think is that they're deteriorating on a taxidermy stuff. Yeah. That, or maybe he has a collection of eyeballs in a jar. I don't know. I find taxidermy to be just so odd and weird and, like, creepy. Like, I get, like... 
obviously people have been doing it for years and years and years and i'm sure there's some reasons that people enjoy it people i have no i don't understand you think about it it's very it's a big thing when it comes to like museums and stuff so like the museums and their displays whether it's necessary or not that is a very big thing if you notice that i just i don't understand it someone i need someone to explain it to me the hobby of it yeah yep well that is episode 15 we discussed the two bodies in the lab and the eyeball serial killer charles albright um let us know what you guys think what did you guys think of this episode what do you you guys have answers for us that apparently we're just not that observant about i'm definitely going to post my questions about this episode and the last episode on the bones reddit forum so maybe you guys can help us out some um and then we'll catch y'all next week catch you later hang out was it was it bone says she goes i'm leaving now I'm leaving now. There will be no goodbyes. We will cut it off here. I'm I'm leaving leaving now. (laughs) Next week on The Heart and the Bones. Please, Big Widow. No, there is a Mick Widow. No, whatever. No, I I understand that. But she's Mick Widow. Okay? She. Derek is dead. But Christina sent a Mick Widow.